1: As an agribusiness expert with Alliant Energy and a farmer, I know how important it is to get the most out of your land. I know that also applies to getting the most out of how your farm uses energy. That's why Alliant Energy offers free farm energy assessments. With a farm energy assessment, someone like me will find all kinds of ways to help you save money and energy. We can even connect you with rebates to help make energy equipment upgrades even more affordable. Schedule your free assessment at alliantenergy.com slash assessment Second time, and it is no good! It's blocked here, let's see who gets a hand on it. Shelby Harris got a piece of it! Today we are digging into the Denver Broncos' 24-21 victory over the L.A. Chargers to kick off the 2017 season. We're going to go through the risers, the fallers, and of course, we're going to break down quarterback watch. You are listening to the Huddle Up podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to
0: show for all things Broncos.
1: Welcome in everybody to the Huddle Up Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle. It is time for Will and I to drop some knowledge. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital. With me is my co-host, Will Keys, editor and writer at Mile High Huddle. Will, has Rex Ryan, you think, already quit uh, his day job? I, was, I don't know, man. I don't know if he's got a future in this business. I was impressed, however, with Beth Mullins, but I think Rex needs a, a few more reps to hone his technique as a color
0: guy. I think the question we should be asking is what is exactly Rex Ryan's day job? I mean, I think, I think he just hangs out in bars with his brother Rob all day. But I don't know; I could be wrong. Maybe I think ESPN probably brought him in for some job that takes you know four to five hours a week. But I have to say, the broadcasting trio of Beth Moyns, Rex Ryan, and Sergio Dip <laughs> is probably the height of uh, of ESPN, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. I would guess that the Ryan brothers probably go grab a
1: 12-pack, go back to their respective, uh, you know, dwellings, turn on the Big Lebowski, and uh, watch their favorite dude scenes. That would be my guess. But... uh We have a lot to get to today, but first we want to say thank you to our sponsor, MyBookie.net. MyBookie.net is all about the excitement of making accurate sports predictions on your favorite teams without having to risk any funds. It's totally recreational and there are all kinds of prizes. In today's climate, let's face it, the fantasy industries have made watching football so much more interesting. So go to MyBookie.net and compete for great prizes totally free. Now, Huddle Up is here to give you a deep dive on your favorite team, the Denver Broncos, and we need your help. We can't grow the show without you. Each and every week, we ask you to rate the show on iTunes and Stitcher and leave a review. There's a big reason for it. It helps us to grow, and it really helps us to reach new listeners. Uh, We love that you're subscribing. We love that you're listening, but if you haven't, take a second, go review the show, leave a rating, and uh, over the next week, we're going to pick the most creative, unique review and we are going to give that person a complimentary Mile High Huddle VIP membership. So get that done, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher. Now follow the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod and at Mile High Huddle. Also take a second, make sure you're following Mile High Huddle on Facebook, because we're we're knee deep in the season and we're going to have so much, so much football to break down over the next 16 weeks, and you're not going to want to miss a single episode. So last night's game, Will, um, featured a pair of first-time head coaches. You had Vance Joseph, Denver's head man, and then, of course, the Chargers, Anthony Lynn, two guys that have a personal history that go way back. And for the majority of the game, it looked as if Joseph had Lynn, um, I don't know, outclassed, but something switched on, some kind of uh, light bulb, if you will, for the Chargers in the fourth quarter, and were it not for a blocked field goal by Shelby Harris saving the day, they would have erased a 17-point deficit and sent the game to overtime where obviously anything could have happened. Now, let's face it. In the NFL, a win is a win is a win, and the Broncos are 1-0 and uh, undefeated in divisional play, which gives them an edge at this point over Oakland and Kansas City, but... They had the Chargers dead to rights, and they let them back into the game. And, you know, we've come to kind of expect the opposite, I think, from the Broncos. Really slow starts from both the offense and the defense, and typically strong finishes. Monday night flipped that tradition on its ear, and it's early, Will. But are you concerned at all that the Broncos might have a problem with finishing and closing games out?
0: You know, I was thinking it was kind of a little bit like a reverse of what we saw in 2012 when the Broncos were playing in San Diego, of course, they're not the San Diego Chargers anymore, but they came back from that 24-0 halftime deficit, Yep. and it wasn't 24 points, it was only 17, and it wasn't a halftime deficit, it was more of a halfway through the fourth quarter deficit that the Chargers almost climbed back into, but I will say this, I'm not concerned, and I'll tell you why. It was a really, really weird series of events that got the Chargers back in that game, starting with the Benny Fowler no-call on -hmm. the pass interference that the pass gets tipped up, and I think it it ends up into the hands of the Chargers' Adrian Phillips. But the play was a screen pass to Benny Fowler, and I don't know who it was in the Chargers, but they grabbed him, pulled him away, and as a result... You know, you want, to see pa- you want to see pass interference on that play. They didn't. It should have been called because it wasn't behind the line of scrimmage and the ball was in the air, so the five-yard rule doesn't take effect at that point. Right. And what I heard is later that Benny Fowler was on 104.3, the fan, and said that the refs came up to him and Vance Joseph and actually apologized for the no call. Mm. So that was the first thing. The Chargers got into it. Uh, they got back into the game five plays later with the touchdown pass to Keenan Allen. Mm. So there was that the Jamal Charles fumble although it was close i do think it was a fumble so that's a legitimate turnover but the very next play when Rivers finds i think it was Travis Benjamin for that yep. 38-yard touchdown yep. it was clear as day that Russell Okung our old friend was holding his former teammate Shaq Barrett and it was right next to it was right next to Rivers and i was shocked that it wasn't called and i was pretty much screaming at the tv i'm sure a lot of other people that were watching that matchup were so I was a little bit discouraged at that point. And then you have the Roby pass interference. I think it, I'm not sure if it was the next series, but it got them down into the red zone again. So, you know, it was a lot of really weird things that I don't think are going to happen too often, but it was just a bad snowballing of events. And the important thing is the Broncos made the adjustment on the field goal. Shelby Harris got the block and they, and they got home with the victory.
1: They found a way to win when the chips were down and that's really what matters most and if you go back to you know the history this team has and most of the guys that were on that 2015 championship roster are still with the team and they have that you know that history with each other as far as doing whatever it takes to win just out physically uh i know that's not a word but out gritting, if you will yeah it's a word on the huddle up podcast but just being the guys who aren't going to flinch at the end with the chips down. And you got to love that about the Broncos at this point because with that confluence of events that was like, it just felt like things were spinning out of control. At the very end, they found a way to maintain their composure and, you know, thank the football gods, if you will, for Shelby Harris and Derek Wolfe. They they kind of tag-teamed that situation. Right. Um, but, I mean, thank goodness the Broncos found Shelby Harris. Thank goodness that you know, he had such a strong summer and such a productive August because without him making that play at the end, that could have gone to overtime. And then who knows? I mean, the chargers at that point would have had all the momentum.
0: No, you're absolutely right. And I heard Derek Wolf talking about it after the game that they saw kind of how things went on that first field goal attempt where, uh, I think his name's young Hoku, yep. the, the South Korean born place kicker, by the way, uh, just one of the most fun rookies to watch, I think this year will be Young Hoku. That's right. Not just his name, but I love I love the any kicker with tattoos really gets an A plus in my book. Adds a little but they, uh, adds a little punk rock to their craft. Oh, absolutely. And he he looks like he's five six, so <laughs> I love I love a good kicker with confidence, a little Matt Prater in him. But he kicks the ball pretty low, and the thing about low trajectories is you're going to get a lot of power. We know that, but you're really susceptible to blocks. So I think it was Derek Wolf who said, I'm going to crash in on, on the Chargers rookie guard, Dan Feeney, and he did exactly that, and that kind of let Shelby Harris just sneak right through. And because, remember, this year you can't have Justin Simmons jumping over the offensive right. line for yep. safety reasons or whatever. Kind of stupid. But they got the block the old-fashioned way. Shelby Harris uh, put his hand on the on the ball. <laughs> the Broncos win. Thank you, Raiders, for Shelby Harris.
1: That's right. We'll take it. Let's talk about the quarterback situation and Trevor Simeon in particular. I mean, we put the magnifying glass on Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch all offseason. And for the second year in a row, you know, was, we, we basically suffered through the drama of a quarterback controversy with Simeon winning the job uh, decidedly. Now, in his first game of 2017, he looked the part of a starting quarterback. Went 17 for 28, 219 yards Probably would have had more if, if Mike McCoy hadn't battened down the hatches a little bit in the fourth quarter, which I don't disagree with. Uh, but he had two touchdown passes, had a touchdown run, the first of his career. There was that fluky interception, and I don't know what it is about Trevor Simeon and throwing interceptions on screen passes. It just seems to be a strange bugaboo that I think the coaches need to take a look. I mean, it was a fluke. It was a, a fluky situation. But it just seems so strange to me that he's thrown, that I can recall just right now off the top of my head, three interceptions over the last uh, 17 games of regular season play on screen passes. So I don't know what that is, but they got to figure it out. But that, uh, that fluky interception, you know, it kind of canceled out the dropped pick that uh, dated back to the first quarter. So, you know, the football gods are throwing karma around and Trevor Simeon is no exception overall though. Well, your assessment of the third year quarterback, Trevor Simeon.
0: Right. So he got away with the drop what probably would have been a pick six by Casey Hayward, which is not something you're going to see very often from a cornerback who led the NFL in interceptions a year ago. But after that point, he was the guy that everybody wanted to see after such a good preseason heading into week one. And there's a stat from PFF, Pro Football Focus, that he had a 76% adjusted completion percentage, which kind of means you take uh, the normal completion rate and you throw away... The batted balls the line of scrimmage the throwaways and the drops from the receivers to kind of get a better look at when a quarterback actually can throw the ball on time on target to his receiver what what is the accuracy like and 76 percent is actually a pretty good rate so uh, that's something we want to see from simi and obviously he completed uh, regular passes at 59 percent last year which is not good but uh, so far, it's an improvement from last year. He also hit seven different receivers. He hit all three tight ends, and then uh, found Emmanuel Sanders, Demarius Thomas, obviously Benny Fowler for a couple of touchdowns in the red zone. Found him three times total. And I think the most important part that we saw was we we knew that Trevor Simeon's got a pretty good arm, and for the most part, he was accurate last year. But he adapted really well against a pretty bad pass protection mm. game from his tackles maybe not bowls I should say but yeah. certainly from Menelik Watson and a little bit from the guards including Max Garcia and Alan Barber and at times McGovern and Paradis but that's kind of what you have to do it's adapt or die if you're getting if you're getting defenders in your face every single time you drop back and he did did a good job got sacked a couple times not necessarily his fault I'd I, I'd pin that more on, uh, you know, we'll talk about it later, but yeah. men like Watson did not have a very good game, but he scrambled. Well, he juked Joey Bosa out of his shoes, which I don't think any of us expected to see for his first career touchdown, yep. but he put it all together. And that, if you get that stat line every week from Trevor Simeon, the Broncos are going to, are going to win a lot of games. I think.
1: I agree. And even to go a little bit deeper, um, on the advanced metrics. Now, we have a relationship with Pro Football Focus, and you know some of their stuff they keep open to the public. Others they reserve for subscriptions. And then even deeper metrics they reserve for some really expensive uh, programs that they sell to sports media networks. Now, our relationship is they send us some, some key stuff from each game. Check this out as far as Trevor Simeon. His average time to throw was 2.39 seconds, which was, for week one, the seventh quickest release in the league. 72.6% of his total yards came through the air, which was second highest this week, meaning that it wasn't yards after the catch. 72.6% of those yards were actually ball through the air. And then lastly, Simeon threw off play action 29.7% in the game against the Chargers, after only doing it 17.7% of the time last season. So you can read into that particular stat what you will. But overall, I mean, when we talk about a quarterback making that quantum leap forward in their development from years one to years two, and then years two to three, I think we're seeing that from Trevor Simeon. I mean, the poise and the the way he was reading the field and manipulating the defense and the coverage. I mean, I was... I was impressed, highly impressed with Trevor Simeon on Monday night. And frankly, we haven't seen that heady of football play from a quarterback in Denver since Peyton Manning's heyday. I mean, it was legitimately quality performance from the quarterback position. And I agree with you. I mean, if he can keep it up and maintain it, I mean, we don't want to go overboard because it is just one game. But if he can maintain it, only good things are going to be on the horizon for the broncos this year and it might be one of those situations and we talked a little bit about this uh, a few episodes back but it might be one of those situations will where john elway swoops in halfway through the season and offers him a three or four year extension pays that man and just nixes the whole quarterback controversy let's build around simeon see where this thing goes
0: Yeah, and fortunately, what you get with drafting Simeon at the end of the seventh round as opposed to picking him up as an undrafted free agent is you get that extra fourth year on the contract and you don't have to deal with restricted free agency like they did with C.J. Anderson. So maybe that is the case. But you want to see him repeat that performance against a Dallas Cowboys defense that I personally don't think is as good as the Chargers defense. They're certainly not as good as rushing rushing the passer agreed so you think that you know if he can if he can string together a couple of those performances you might be looking at a franchise quarterback because I think I think Trevor Simeon is good and getting better
1: very encouraging performance by the Trevster now I want to move forward to some other aspects of the offense uh, on Monday night now Last year, we all remember how badly the Broncos struggled on third down and in the red zone. I mean, it was just frustrating to watch. And it wasn't, um, you know, when you talk about the red zone under Gary Kubiak, those, those two years he was in Denver, I mean, it was atrocious. Now, these were two areas, third down and the red zone, these were two areas that I was paying very close attention to On Monday night, I wanted to see if there was any sign that both Trevor Simeon as the quarterback and Mike McCoy as the play caller could turn the ship around. The Broncos absolutely dominated on the money down, going 8 of 15 and 3 of 5 in the red zone. Now, that's a conversion rate on third down of 53.3%. If the Broncos were able to sustain that efficiency on third down for the whole season, they would easily lead the league. In the red zone, You know, they punched it in for six on three of their five possessions. And all in, I think, Will, some very, very encouraging signs of progress for an offense that, let's face it, for the last two years has been much maligned. Notwithstanding, I think, the second half turnovers, the Broncos offense carried their fair share of the water on Monday night.
0: I think you're absolutely right. They did more than carry their fair share, I think. Um, The defense kept up their bargain. The offense kept up their bargain. And you see what happens when that happens because it's it's 24 to 7 and the Broncos looking control. Uh, of course a few things derailed that, but I think it's important to note that the Broncos offense was lacking sort of what I would call an interior passing game last season and we got that to, we got that last night because Trevor Simeon was finding his tight ends he was finding AJ Derby he even hit if you'll uh, remember back to I think it was their first touchdown drive that pass where he barely had enough time to throw. I think he fakes it to C.J. Anderson out of the shotgun, and then maybe it's Bosa or Ingram coming in on him, but he gets the pass away down the seam to Jeff Hyreman, oh, and yeah. one of the chargers tips the ball, and somehow it almost makes the pass go straighter <laughs> right into the arms of Jeff yep. But that That's kind of a play that they were missing last year. They're, they weren't getting much out of the tight ends, and they got, I think what was it, maybe eight or nine catches for close to 100 yards last night out of the three tight ends, Derby, Hireman, and then yep. Virgil Green added that 44-yard reception. But that's an element that they were lacking last year, and I think that helped them on third down a few times. That throw
1: to Virgil Green down the right seam, I mean, that was next-level uh, quarterbacking by Trevor Simeon. And I'm re- I'm just excited to see where this goes. I mean, if they can sustain it, good things are in store for the Denver Broncos offense. Now, one last thing uh, on the offensive performance. The days of, uh, I think, the anemic offense on the ground might be in the rear view. At home, the Broncos dominated in the trenches, running for 140 yards as a team. C.J. Anderson picked up 81 yards on 20 carries, while Jamal Charles tallied 40 yards on his 10 carries, uh, which I think is a pretty good split in terms of touches. Basically, one guy shit-taking two-thirds of the pie uh, and the other his third. Now, unfortunately, Charles, that solid performance, was marred by that court, that, that fumble in the fourth quarter, which is unacceptable for, for a veteran like him. But I will say this. We're talking about a guy who hasn't carried the ball uh, ten times since early 2015. So we should expect some kind of rust. It was just unfortunate where it happened there in in the clutch time in the fourth quarter. Now, this one-two punch for the Broncos, I think, is going to be a weapon uh, in 2017. We'll talk about the pass rush issues, pass protection, really, here in a few more minutes. But, Will, as a run-blocking unit, I was very impressed with the Broncos' offensive line. There were a few plays where individual guys got beat. But as a unit, they were very effective in their blocking. Garrett Bowles, of course, played every snap at left tackle. His run blocking was good. He posted a 79.5 grade as a run blocker via pro football focus. He had one offensive holding penalty called, but it was declined due to Simeon being sacked for a 10-yard loss. And really, this the, the, the rushing attack forced the Chargers defense to respect it, and it took so much pressure off of Simeon, allowed him at times to really dictate um, to the opposition. And I know it's just one week, but even with Ron Leary missing much of that game with a concussion, I was just impressed with Mike McCoy's rushing attack and where the offense as a whole, I mean, it was it was quite balanced. It wasn't prolific, but it was as balanced as we've seen in a long time.
0: You know, I think it's kind of important that, so they got 140 yards and they ran the ball 36 times, but it's not like Jamal Charles broke off an 80-yard touchdown run to kind of skew that that total of 140 yards at the end of the game they're getting four yards five yards six yards occasionally you know a run that's closer to 20 yards we saw that from Anderson and I think Jamal Charles had a longer run right. but for the most part they're running the ball consistency consistently for four five six yards every play yep. and I think that's what you want to see out of an effective running attack it's not like the Ronnie Hillman offense <laughs> where you get a bunch of runs for negative one one zero, To, oh, and then 75 yards for a touchdown. (laughs) So when you look at the box score at the end of the game, it looks a lot better than it actually was, aside from one play. So it's good to see consistency. They ran the ball, especially well behind Leary when he was in. And then, even like you said, McGovern carried the load, run blocking. And then, you know, we're going to give Menelik Watson a lot of crap for his pass protection, and probably deservedly so. But he did block the run pretty well, and he's proven to be a bulldozer in the run game and I I know that we knew that coming in and that wasn't really the concern with Watson but at least he is as advertised in his strengths so he's got to get better at pass protection yep but for the most part they ran the ball well that helped them control the clock that got them into good position on third down which I think helped their third down percentage at the end of the game and that's that's one of the things you need to be a good offense and the Broncos are well on their way and it's one of the reasons why you saw
1: Simeon's uh, efficiency out of the play-action increase. I mean, the defense had to respect, they were on their heels in that regard, Denver's attack. It could have been a run, could have been a pass, and it allowed both phases to be productive. And after the game, you uh, we heard Vance Joseph, we don't have time to play, play the actual clip, but Vance Joseph talked about C.J. Anderson being the, the uh, bell cow in 2017. And with the plan, basically, to get Jamal Charles around 15 quality touches per game. Now, he didn't quite get to that point in the opener, but I think that balance, Will, of you know, CJ being the bell cow and bringing in Charles as, as change of pace and to exploit the edges a little bit more. And then even Joseph talked about sprinkling in Henderson a little bit more as the season wears on. The Broncos uh, are off to a really good start as far as making sure they stay balanced and keeping the opposition on their heels. Now, we still have a lot to get to in terms of uh, we're going to talk about risers and fallers. We're going to break down Manelik Watson's issues in particular. But first, we once again want to say thank you to our sponsor, MyBookie.net. Now, MyBookie.net is all about the fun and excitement of making accurate predictions on your favorite teams without having to risk any funds. That's the key. Site members can make picks against real spreads, lines, and totals for major sports leagues and associations as well as college sports and compete for great prizes courtesy of MyBookie. MyBookie.net is the greatest, most professional, totally free, and most importantly, 100% recreational sports prediction service you can find on the web. Instead of the typical head-to-head challenges and handicapping contests, MyBookie.net goes beyond the basics and offers members a true betting platform that will make users feel that they were in a real betting site. Unlike most betting services, MyBookie.net is a completely free site and allows you to make daily predictions and bets and win real prizes at no cost. MyBookie.net is not a gambling or play-for-money site. I want to iterate that. This is not a gambling site. It's a free sports wagering website built for millions of sports fans to provide them with a platform to participate in picking games, predicting scores, and compete for prizes without risking any money. Just like your office pick 'em contests and, and fantasy football, MyBookie brings a deeper enjoyment and excitement to watching our favorite teams by increasing the stakes, and it is fun. For no cost, you get to make predictions and qualify for prizes. Again, the service is absolutely free for all users, and we say thank you to MyBookie.net for sponsoring the Huddle Up podcast. All right, let's talk about uh, Menelik Watson. We might have a problem, Denver. We were hopeful that the Broncos' woes at right tackle would be cured uh, with the arrival of Menelik Watson. It is clearly not. Watson was a sieve. I mean, he faced, granted, a stiff test in terms of trying to block two of the best edge rushers uh, in the business in Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa, but he has got to be a lot better than he was. I reached out to my PFF contact guy. Here are wets uh, watson's metrics from monday night football he allowed eight total pressures will including four sacks Ugh. one qb hit and three hurries he was the third worst offensive tackle out of 62 qualifiers for the week and these are guys who played at least 25 percent of their team's pass snaps his overall grade a putrid 31.8 good for 59th in the league A 29.9 pass blocking grade, good for 58th, and a 40.1 run blocking grade, good for 51st. Trevor Simeon took a lot of big hits, and I'm telling you right now, if that continues, Simeon will not stay healthy for a full 16 games. The Broncos have to recognize Watson's shortcomings at this point. Get him some help wherever possible, even if it means taking a tight end or a running back out of a passing concept. Watson was so bad. Will I started, you know, pondering to myself whether or not Donald Stevenson might not be a better option after all. I mean, this issue has the potential. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to freak out too bad over this, but it does have the potential to derail a promising uh, season so far for the Broncos.
0: Yeah, and we saw Menelik Watson struggle in pass protection throughout the preseason, and I don't know why we thought it would be any different in the regular season, especially against Melvin Ingram. And he wasn't really getting a whole lot of help, but you can't allow four sacks. That's that's like I think that's the same the same total that Michael Schofield gave up against Khalil Mack in that in that game that I don't want to talk about anymore. Mm-hmm. It shall shall not be mentioned. It's stricken from the record. <laughs> but it's really unacceptable. And you know, luckily there's no Melvin Ingram and there's no Joey Bosa on the Cowboys. I can't really keep up with which of their pass rushers aren't suspended at this point. But I think DeMarcus Lawrence is there and while he's an okay player, I don't I don't think he's either of those two guys in the Chargers. But I think I think one play that kind of set the tone for for Menelik Watson struggling last night wasn't a sack that he gave up, but it was that play where Trevor Simeon had Jamal Charles in the backfield and and Charles was kind of heading out left to catch a little swing pass. And and Simeon had his eyes on Charles and you could see the play develop. And you tell that if he got it on the money to Charles, it was going to go for a pretty big gain. And then who knows what happens after that. But Watson just got beat inside within like half a second by Melvin Ingram. And just as Simeon was about to get the ball away, Ingram got his hand on it and and the pass ended up going backwards. The play went for not. And that's, That's the thing that happens is one bad offensive lineman can derail a whole offense and Menelik Watson, like God bless him. And he's getting married soon, but he needs to get better. It was not good.
1: I think it's seriously a situation where, you know, the Broncos have some cap room left and I understand they're trying to protect that and roll it over into next year with some of these other contracts coming up in 2018. But if they do want to compete this year, they might, be remiss if they were to not get yeah. up the trading block and see if there's not somebody who's at least average. Find us an average right tackle, you know. At least find us someone who we don't have to worry about Trevor Simeon getting his his uh, block knocked off each and every time he drops back. I mean, it was ridiculous—four sacks, eight total pressures. I mean, it's it's absolutely unacceptable. And granted, you know, it was going against two of the best edge rushers in the league. But as Vance Joseph pointed out after the game, welcome to the AFC West. That's the yeah. way it's going to be uh, six times per year. So that's what you have to look forward to if you do not make some changes at the position. And I'm not necessarily saying right out of the gates he needs to be benched. I don't know exactly where Donald Stevenson's at. I mean, obviously, they believe Watson is the superior player, hence him starting over over Stevenson. But, I mean, Watson's got to take this as a personal challenge and a personal affront I mean that was just about as terrible a right tackle play as we've seen since you know Tyson Brilo, Stevenson last year. I mean I would take honestly Michael Schofield right now over what we saw on Monday night. Will
0: you know? What? I was thinking the same thing, and he he was on the other sideline last night. I don't think he had a lot of playing time, but the Broncos probably could have used him. And you you can think about it. And there's a scenario where and this. This scenario involves Ronald Leary being healthy, so I don't know if that's the case this week. But you have Garrett Bowles at left tackle. And then potentially, you could move Connor McGovern to left guard, keep Paradis obviously at center. Leary, when he gets back from uh, concussion protocol, he's entrenched at right guard. And then Alan Barber, who knows how to play a little bit of tackle, Maybe you put him at right tackle if Menelik Watson keeps struggling. Yep. I don't know if he's better. Um, I don't know if he's going to be as good of a run blocker. But sometimes you kind of have to make those trades and keep your quarterback healthy. And I was also thinking, too, and tell me what you think. You know how Tyler Columbus is doing the sideline reporting for <laughs> the the 850 KOA radio yep. games? Yep. At what point do they just give him a helmet? And tell him to go ahead. I know it's all you.
1: The only problem is if you if, if you know I listen to him uh, on a semi regular basis. I've always enjoyed him dating back to uh, when he first took to the airwaves and uh, was paired up with Cecil Lammy there at the Fan for a time. But unfortunately, he's lost most of his playing weight. He's he's a skinny version of himself. So it would take uh, it would take a little time to get him back into uh, the physical shape that he would need to be in order to start eating now (laughs) yeah yeah there you go but yeah it's it's just a it's just a shaky situation and let's hope that the broncos have an answer and as vance joseph talked about during the preseason in the week uh between the final game and in the and the cutdowns you know the the guards that they kept one of the things they really liked about them is the versatility and some guys who can not only play multiple positions on the interior but as you pointed out alan barber has the potential or experience and versatility to kick out and play a little tackle. So we'll see what happens. We're, we're running a little bit short on time tonight, uh, everybody. So let's get to our risers and fallers. We'll kind of go through these rapid fire as best we can. As we've been doing all preseason, we're going to carry it over into week one and beyond where we figure uh, who raised their football stock and who let it drop week to week. Now, after a win in which the Broncos looked as dominant as they did for much of the game, there's a lot of positive. But let's flip that coin. Let's start with the Fallers. Guys, Will, who didn't put on their best performance or put their best foot forward in week one, you go first.
0: So, honestly, I, I struggled coming up with Fallers, and that's why I'm only going to have three. We usually do five. But number one on that list, and I know he has to be on your list, and we've talked about him ad nauseum at this point, so I will just say Menelik Watson. Number two, uh, I'm going to go with Max Garcia. He split time. They kind of had this weird rotation going where they'd have Garcia in one drive and then Barber, um, and then I kind of stopped paying attention because uh, I think I was just too worried about Melvin Ingram every time. So I don't I don't necessarily know what they did throughout the second half and and from quarter to quarter and drive to drive, but from what I saw from Garcia early, still needs a little bit of work on, on pass protection. Barber, uh, I think he had one one whiff early, but I think Simeon got rid of the ball. So I'll put Max Garcia on there for now and then. I, I kind of hate to do this because he had such a great play on fourth and one where he just absolutely stuffed Melvin In- – uh, not Melvin Ingram, Melvin Gordon. Too many Melvins on the Chargers, by the way. <laughs> no kidding. Maybe they that's should such start such a weird a name. Yeah. Call maybe, themselves the Melvins. Oh, maybe, wait. I think that's a band. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Todd Davis, yeah, he stuffed Melvin Gordon on that fourth and one, but he also got beat by Melvin Gordon on a little Texas route on that first Chargers touchdown and we know that he's got some some pass coverage deficiencies, and he kind of let that show. And the Chargers, I'm surprised they didn't take more advantage of it last night because I think they, they would have done well to do that. And it's a good thing they didn't have Danny Woodhead because I think he probably would have had 25 catches last night against, against Todd Davis.
1: I agree with you. I wasn't impressed with either of the linebackers. I'll start with Brandon Marshall. He was a guy for me that just didn't get it done. He picked the wrong hole many times in run support. And just overall, you know, it's been a while since we saw Brandon Marshall perform up to the same level in which we saw him in 2015. And I was hopeful that he could return to form this year because the Broncos really need their inside linebackers to be solid at the very least. And I wasn't impressed with him. uh, You know, actually, I was more unimpressed by Brandon Marshall than I was Todd Davis for much of the game. But, yeah, Menelik Watson, we're on the same page there. Enough said. Emmanuel Sanders. Now, I understand that deep ball uh, in the end zone was not a perfect pass, but that is a catch he has to make. And I would say the same on that uh, sideline catch in the in the end zone later on in the game, where, honestly, I think if, if Vance Joseph would have challenged that, there was a good chance that would have been overturned and ruled a touchdown if you really wa- looked at it. But just Emmanuel Sanders, notwithstanding that one play where he reversed field and, and picked up the first down, I just I think he he's he just wasn't in the zone. We need to see more from him. We, he needs to be more consistent. Demarius Thomas had that one drop too, but I think Emmanuel Sanders needs to find that zone. Bradley Roby he had the great interception, but too many lapses that cost his team. And then Brandon McManus, who just got paid, misses what is typically an automatic field goal uh, for him. So those are my guys. Brandon McManus, he got to step that up. All those guys but enough negativity. Let's talk about the positives. Will, who lit it up for you on Monday night?
0: All right, we talked about it already, but I think it's worth repeating. Trevor Simeon, two touchdowns, a rushing touchdown. He really dealt with a lot of adversity on the offensive line, but like I said, the 76% adjusted completion rate, found seven different receivers. He did all the things that we wanted him to do. Second, C.J. Anderson, This is his first game coming back since uh, the Monday night football game against the Texans last year when I think he tore his MCL or Uh, did something with his knee. Right, his meniscus. Um, Obviously, I'm not an anatomy major. But (laughs) he looked really good in his first game back. And that wasn't shocking because he looked good in the preseason as well. But you can tell that this offense is a completely different unit when you have C.J. Anderson as opposed to Devontae Booker leading the way Yep. third have to go with adam gotsis and i think it's it's almost rare that a player is so hyped up during the off season and there's all these different tropes about he's in the best shape of his life and and he's cut whatever 10 15 pounds and he just has a completely different frame and you don't know if that's necessarily going to make them a better football player but in the adam in the case of adam gotsis it definitely showed last night he was He was mauling the Chargers offensive linemen and moving them off their block. And between him and Shelby Harris, uh, I don't know if Jared Crick sees too much time uh, along the defensive front anymore. So Gossis is third. Shaq Barrett, who probably wasn't supposed to play in this game. We didn't really expect him back until week three, but he he recovered quickly. So I'm going to give him the fourth spot. He had that. He was held, obviously, uh, on that play by Russell Okung that resulted in in that thirty eight yard corner route touchdown to Travis Benjamin. But he did have the Broncos, I think, lone sack of the night, where he beat, I believe it was Okung again. Yep. Maybe it was maybe it no, was the it was right Okung. tackle. It was Okung. Okay, good to see our our former teammate uh, have such a productive, productive night at left tackle. <laughs> it makes us makes us feel a little bit better about about the Broncos situation. But yep. Shaq Barrett for for shrugging off a pretty bad injury and looking really, really good on, on the opening night of the year. And then, I've been waiting for this since the preseason because I had him on my fallers every week. Special teams coordinator Brock Olivo. The special teams were excellent last night. And it started with that 31-yard punt return by Isaiah McKenzie that probably could have been more if he hadn't stepped out. Yep. Cody Ladner blew up a play on punt coverage. And Riley Dixon just looked pretty good in general. Obviously, we had that missed field goal from, I think, 52 yards from Brandon McManus. That's going to happen, especially from that distance. But the play of the game was the blocked field goal, and that's a special team's play. And you have to wonder if, if Brock Oliva was, was in someone's ear saying, this guy's kicking it low, let's get a little interior pass rush. Derek Wolf, how about uh, go bear hug Dan Feeney and let Shelby <laughs> Harris get in yeah. and block that kick? So. That one on the game. So I'm really excited to finally put Brock Oliva on my risers list. You want a guy that's just such a
1: cult of personality to translate a that. Football to guy. Yeah, he's a football guy. Absolutely. So absolutely, I agree with you there. For the sake of parody, I'll go with the following guys. Garrett Bowles, uh, you know, he wasn't perfect, but as a run blocker, stud, absolute upgrade over what the Broncos had last year in Russell Okung. As a pass protector, couple of lapses, but overall he was far from Denver's biggest concern. As the rookie playing on that that you know offensive line, second I'm going to go with Matt Paradis as a riser. This is a guy who played hardly at all all summer long, brief appearance against the Green Bay Packers. Let me tell you what uh, what Matt Paradis did from a metrics point of view, according to Pro Football Focus. Started off the season on a high note, 82.2 overall grade, fourth best among centers, allowed just one QB hurry on 37 pass-blocking sets, leading to a 74.4 pass-blocking grade. And then as a, as a run blocker, he graded in the 80s. So hats off to Matt Paradis for, uh, you know, missing so much time, overcoming double hip surgery and just stepping right back into doing things the way he's used to doing them. And then Justin Simmons. Now, this is another guy whose game was not perfect There were a couple of lapses, including that touchdown that is unfortunately credited to Chris Harris for allowing or relinquishing. Justin Simmons um, should have dropped back into that zone. Harris expected to have inside leverage or inside help on that play. And that was just a communication issue that the team will get figured out. The defense will get they'll they'll hone that out as we march further on into the season. But overall, Simmons was all over the field. Very physical, uh, close to the line of scrimmage. I loved his energy. I felt like the Broncos did not miss a beat in terms of the physical presence that T.J. Ward brought to the table. And then just look at what the the tight ends for the the Chargers did. What was it, two receptions total for 17 yards? And Hunter Henry, who dominated the Broncos last year, didn't even show up. So hats off to Justin Simmons, and it's making the decision John Elway made to part with T.J. Ward as controversial as it was both inside and outside the locker room. In hindsight, at least this early, looked like a good one. Cody Latimer, you know, he wasn't much of a force on offense except when he was on the field. When it was time to run block, that dude takes his job seriously, takes great pride in blocking. And then, of course, his acumen as a gunner. And then lastly, Jamal Charles. I'm going to throw him on here. Even though he fumbled, I I think he brought an aspect to uh, the Broncos' offense that C.J. Anderson just can't. He's just not that type of a player. And I think the further we get into the season, you know, hopefully Jamal Charles stays healthy. But the further we get into this season, I think you're going to see Jamal Charles continue to improve, get his legs underneath him, so to speak, and start making some splash plays that the Broncos are paying him to do. So. That'll wrap it up, risers and fallers. And before we get out of here, we also want to say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. Don't forget, you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up. There's over 180,000 different titles to choose from, whether you got an iPhone, an Android, a Kindle, or an MP3 player. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up. You guys all know this is a service, an app that I use on a daily basis. We don't always have time to sit down and turn the pages on the books we want want to read, but Audible allows you to do that while you're doing other things, whether it's on your commutes, working out, yard work, housework, whatever. So go to audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up, get a free book, try it for 30 days. If you don't like it, you can cancel. And remember, it's a great way to support the show and allows us to continue to do this each and every week for you all. But that'll do it. For today's show, it's all the time we have. Unfortunately, we couldn't get to the mailbag. Sorry, guys, we'll uh, we'll get to your questions later on or maybe hit up Carl and Nick for their uh, their preview episode of Week 2. You can find Will in the Twitterverse, at WillKey6, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Tweet us your questions. We're always going to try to address your concerns on the show as often as we can. Look for Nick and Carl's preview of the Dallas game by Thursday, and don't forget to subscribe, y'all. For Will, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Mile high huddle. Hi, I'm Tyler Boss, one of the narrators on the Abide app, a premium ad-free biblical meditation experience. Join the millions of people who download the Abide app to reduce stress, improve sleep, and experience the peace of God every day. You can text the word peace to 22433 for a 7-day free trial of Abide. Just text peace to 22433, and you'll likely hear from me again on the app as I guide you through daily meditations or help you fall asleep and experience the peace of God.